Hi, this is Frank McKenna, the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. And I want to tell you about a fabulous conference that we're hosting on Thursday, the 7th of September, 2023. In association with Sedulo Group, BDP and VSI Executive Education, we'll be hosting a one-day event, Business of Sport, at the home of Lancashire Cricket Club during the international football break in the autumn. The conference will attract up to 200 delegates from sports organisations, private sector companies and public sector agencies from across the country. Our confirmed speakers so far include Gary Neville, the ex-Manchester United and England footballer turned pundit and entrepreneur. Sir Howard Bernstein, former Chief Exec of Manchester City Council, part of the City's Commonwealth Games delivery and legacy team. The Chief Executive of Women in Football, Yvonne Harrison. GB Javelin Champion and Olympic medalist Goldie Sayers, the Chief Exec of FC United, Natalie Atkinson, and the Chair of the Rugby League World Cup, Chris Brindley. Tickets are available now. Go to downtowninbusiness.com. You'll find out all the information in the events section of our website. More speakers to be announced shortly, but it is going to be a fantastic day. That's Thursday, the 7th of September, 2023, Downtown in Business's Business of Sport Conference. My name is Andy McIntyre. I'm co-founder with Tony Fawner of VSI Executive Education. We are thrilled to be working in partnership with Frank McKenna and his fabulous team at Downtown in Business on a series of 10 podcasts focusing the business of sport. We'll be engaging with some of the industry's most influential figures at a time when the English Premier League in particular has become a truly global force. Today, I am delighted to welcome the owner of a Champions League football club. His name is Kenny Bruce, a founder of Purple Bricks along with his brother. And he's gonna talk to us about his remarkable personal journey. Kenny, welcome. Nice to be here, Andrew. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Firstly, congratulations. Winning the league with a football team, Larn FC, that you took from the lower reaches of the championship in Northern Ireland and took them to the title this year and a place at the very pinnacle of European football. Tell us all a little bit about Larn Football Club because it's, they, they've really gone from, from rags to riches in a very short period of time. Yeah, Andy, thanks very much indeed. Yeah, it's been a great, great achievement and I suppose a culmination of all the work that lots of people have put in over the last five and a half years. I got involved in Lyon Football Club in September of 2017. I was approached by a couple of previous people that were involved on the field and said that Lyon had fallen on hard times and, and could I, having been successful in business and worked with some really great teams, would I be willing to try and help support in some way, shape or form? <clears throat> so I... I went to see uh, the, the, the club. I uh, knew very, very quickly that it needed substantial investment. It needed a real clear plan. It needed a group of people who were going to love and cherish it and look after it. And I was able to very quickly make a decision that I wanted to play a part in uh, this, this resurgence of a once great club that's been around for 133 years. So when I uh, um, got approached, I went and visited. I uh, fell in love with our current manager who was there three months prior to me arriving. He had lost his first seven games at the bottom of the championship, but he had a vision of how he wanted to revolutionise not only Lyon Football Club, but introduce a full-time professional structure. 
in uh, Northern Irish football and wanted to start that journey at Larne. It was his first role in management. He had been assistant manager at the mighty Glentoran, who are probably one of the most famous clubs in, in Northern Ireland. And uh, when he sort of talked me through his blueprint of what he wanted to achieve, uh, I was totally sold and believed that he would uh, be the right man and his brother, Seamus, and the people that they would recruit in terms of players and coaching staff would be the right people to uh, ultimately get us to the summit, which they've managed to do in a five and a half year period. And it's been really, really successful on the field during that time. But we tried to do it in a really sustainable way. We invested heavily in the stadium 2.7 2.7 million. We invested in our first team training ground academy set up. Uh, and we've tried to also build an operational team off the field with a fantastic CEO uh, called Niall Kaneen, who's worked really, really hard to build a really great uh, team of people around him to be able to occupy uh, all of the things they should be doing on a day by day basis and, and be truly successful. So it's been a great journey so far. Uh, and I think. Everyone at the football club, every supporter, every volunteer, every player that's played a part in the journey over the last five and a half years uh, uh, deserves this accolade. And I and I hope it's going to be a really exciting uh, qualifying uh, rounds in the Champions League in the summer. Now, we'll return to Larn in a few minutes, but our partners in this podcast series are downtown in business. So they represent the business communities of, of, of England effectively now. Um, so their listeners are going to be fascinated by your business history. And then I'd like to to get a little feel for the philanthropy behind your move uh, towards resurrecting Lance. So tell us a little bit about your history in the estate agency world and founding of Purple Bricks. Uh, so I'll try and keep it as brief as possible, but try and give you a potted history of uh, of how I fell into estate agency and uh, and the teams I was able to work with to bring about some amazing success. So uh, I fell into estate agency. I went to Southampton University for about three months. I didn't really enjoy academia. I wanted to get my hands dirty, earn some money, probably date some girls and, and buy a car. So I thought I needed to be able to get a job to do that. I saw a job advertising in estate agency. I applied for it and I was able to to get the job. And, and my training on my first day was my manager said, here's a list of buyers. Here's what properties they're looking to buy. Here's the properties that we have on the market. You need to match both that buyer and both that, that property and try and encourage them out to view. And I realized very quickly you needed to be enthusiastic, you needed to be driven, uh, and you needed to be determined to be successful at any state agency. And within two and a half years or about two years of being involved, I set out on my own journey to own my own estate agency business with two other partners. And we went from one office uh, in, I think it was 2001, to uh, nine offices by 2006. And, and that process was a really enjoyable experience. And we tried to really create a very good brand uh, that was offering really good service, do it in a really transparent way. And it proved to be really, really successful. And my brother, who was a, a, a criminal lawyer who owned a law firm in the Midlands called The Firm. Uh, so he probably watched the program with Gene Hackman and, and Tom Cruise <laughs> or aspired to be that way. Uh, uh, he had a criminal firm uh, that was truly successful. And I said to him, why don't you get involved in conveyancing? Why don't you deliver that same service you, you deliver to your defendants in the world that you're in to buyers and sellers who are thinking about buying a home? And conveyancing is the term that's used for the transactional, legal transactional element within property. Michael set up, I took over a 
failing law firm in 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 the south on the south coast and built it to be really really successful and coincidentally andy in that first two weeks of michael taking over that failing law firm he met with his bank manager at the time who was the bank manager for that law firm michael had a, his own bank manager in the midlands and said to that bank manager that look i'm going to work with my guy in the midlands I, I don't want to work with you in the, in the nicest possible way. And the bank manager refused to be sacked and said, no, you're an aspiring entrepreneur, Mr. Bruce, and I want to work with you and I can back you and support you for you to fulfill all of your ambitions and dreams. So Michael said he would give him a couple of months to prove it, to prove his worth in Michael's own way and style. <laughs> and he ultimately ended up being a really pivotal relationship in, in our ongoing expansion. And, and Michael uh, was really, really successful in the legal world. We continued to grow our estate agency business. And Michael was on the board of an estate agency business in the Midlands. And he uh, approached the uh, owner of that organization with a view to buying it. And we lent, loaned some money off that same bank manager in 2006 to buy that business. And ultimately, that's where our journey together in business really started. We grew it. We made it successful. And we knew that the estate agency world was changing uh, because Rightmove had come around and people were looking for properties and finding properties in a slightly different way than they had found properties previously. So the human interaction in lots of the finding and searching for homes was being removed from the process. So Michael and myself uh, uh, set about trying to think how can technology play a wider uh, uh, involvement in the solution. Can we do lots and lots of processes like arranging viewings and arranging valuations and making offers and giving feedback? Can we automate some of that to be able to leave our estate agents to be uh, to, to spend more time face to face with customers in these what we call high payoff activities? And we believe, based on the research we did that we definitely could develop technology to do that. So in 2011, we decided to sell our business in the Midlands, uh, Birchill Edwards to the Connells Group, who at the time were the largest estate agency business in the UK, very, very successful, owned by the Skipton Building Society. We sold uh, that business and we invested every single penny that we took from that business into founding uh, Purple Bricks. A very, a very brave move because there must have been a temptation to trouser a few million quid and uh, sit back on a beach in the Caribbean. No, no doubt about it. But uh, Andy, you've met my brother and you know that that's not his view. He's somebody that's highly ambitious and very driven. And uh, we wanted to try and develop a, a form of estate agency that was different to what's out there. And you did it with spectacular success. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, Purple Bricks was a was a really interesting uh, idea, interesting concept, a business that we worked really hard to make successful. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, we probably expanded a bit too quickly internationally. Uh, we probably thought uh, that everything we had applied in the UK would be transferable to other countries across the world. That proved not to be the case, uh, but certainly it became the largest estate agency business in the UK. It's a household name, a household brand today, and still, in my opinion, has a very bright future ahead of it. I've been fortunate enough to listen to you uh, kindly speaking to VSI delegates on the CEO of a sports organisation, and I've heard you describe the moment when you decided you wanted to move on from Purple Bricks. And I thought it was really insightful. Would you just explain to the listeners the process that you came through in order to leave? Yeah, Andy, I think founders and leaders of a business haven't got, don't have the God-given right to remain in that business forever. I think founders add uh, and contribute to businesses uh, really, really well, whilst they can be proved highly effective. But I think when a business becomes... Uh, 
maybe too big, a business becomes international. You've got to have a different set of talents, different sets of uh, personnel around the business to be able to make those key decisions. And I felt at that stage that maybe my skill base around people and around recruitment and about inspiration and, and getting them to buy and live the dream uh, probably was, wasn't was really the, the right uh, ingredients required at that particular time. And I decided that that was the opportunity for me to, to, to step aside and let somebody else take on the baton. And Lan very conveniently came along at just the right time. Everybody will be interested to know to what extent you applied uh, the tools of your success with Purple Bricks and with the estate agents before that in resurrecting Lan. Yeah, well, I tried to apply lots and lots of business lessons that I'd learned over the time. Uh, certainly, I have a view, Andy, that leaders in business and in sport can't create culture. They create environments where a good, healthy culture will 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 flourish. So I focus very heavily on uh, recruitment and on having the right ingredients of people in our business and helping them to become really proficient and, and effective at what they do. And after about three months of the business uh, having launched, we decided to profile all of what we call our estate agents who were local property experts. And we profiled them against an organization called Thomas International. They have a personality profile analysis. And I wanted to see whether there are any common trends with our successful people and those that maybe weren't quite as successful. And it was very, very clear from that analysis that Thomas International did on our behalf that our really most successful agents were those that had a very high eye, which was a disc profile around influence and those people that were able to persuade uh, customers to come on the journey with us, to trust us with their largest asset, they, they were certainly the most successful people. So we used to then recruit specifically against that profile and try and make sure we, we sort of narrowed the opportunity of us not being successful or that agent not being successful in our business. So did you profile what was required of other people within the business as well and, and use a similar tool? Yes, absolutely. So again, we when, when moving into LAN, we wanted to make sure that we as a, um, a business, or well, me as an owner of the football club, wanted to make sure that I uh, applied some of those principles around giving uh, leaders within the, the football club the opportunity to reflect on the job rather than reflecting after losing the job, because I think in sport, lots of those uh, circumstances happen where somebody gets the sack, somebody leaves a particular post that they tend to spend a little bit of time reflecting on what was good, what they could have done better, how they might change for the future. And using Thomas International and using some of the uh, uh, some of the the the, 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 the uh, principles I used in business, we applied them into Lyme Football Club, we applied them into uh, the leadership team there, and we were able to, I suppose, bring about effective change where when, when, when they reflected on what, what they could do better uh, from time to time. So th those business principles were definitely applied within the, within the, within the sports club at Larm. No, I think we've been the beneficiary of that firsthand because we've had your chief executive, Niall, studying with us on our CEO, CEO of the sports organisation. Was that part of your strategic plan for him and, and has it been effective? There's no question that it was part of our uh, ability to be able to give uh, Niall the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to reflect whilst doing the job he's doing. So we, found, we have found this course over the last six months to be tremendously valuable uh, and something that I think has helped to develop Niall as a human being, as a leader. He is much more strategic in his thinking. He's much wider in his approach. He's involving more of his team in giving them responsibility to uh, take on uh, uh, activities and, and really 
really grow and develop. So it's actually been, I think, quite life changing for Niall in his in his in his uh, leadership role, and we're already seeing that the fruits of of that uh, investment going in. Interesting. Now you've won the league. Um, you're at the height of, of of North Island football. Where do you go from here? Do you look at a multi-club ownership model, for example? Is that something that would attract you? Can you see the value in that? Well, I, I definitely see the value in continuing to invest. I think I think football and sport has a an amazing opportunity to uh, galvanise a community, a community of fans, a community of business owners, to be able to encourage young people to remain in education as part of their football development. So we see significantly more investment going into Lyon Football Club. Some of that clearly will come from myself. Some will come from external investment. Some of it may come from a multi-club uh, uh, setup because we feel that Northern Ireland with Brexit has an opportunity to uh, be able to attract younger players from the island of Ireland, get them into our uh, academy, get them into our way of being able to be coached and developed and into our education system that then prepares them even better when they go across the water at the age of 18. So I think there are lots of moving parts now coming together. The best way I describe it is like a wine window, an opportunity where I think we can get further investment, continue to grow, uh, continue to compete right at the top echelons of, of Irish League football and, and hopefully I think get group stages of Conference League which are totally achievable within our, within our uh, current setup. Was that part of your thinking when you invested in Lahn, that there, there is the opportunity, which you know, if you invested in a, uh, a maybe a, a Division One team in, in England, wouldn't be there to play European football. Maybe you could explain for listeners who who, who are less familiar with the process of of, of uh, qualifying for the Champions League and and the fact that even in the events you're getting knocked out of the Champions League, you go into the Europa. Absolutely. So there are four places up for grabs within European football each year from the Northern Irish Premier League. The winners go into the first qualifying round of the Champions League. Should they win that first qualifying round, they would drop into, uh, in, in the second round, if they got beat, drop into the Europa League. If they were beating that, they would then drop into the third round, last round before group stages of the Europa Conference League. So it really gives you an amazing opportunity as the winners of the league to get very close to group stages. Linfield, who won the league last season, were one minute away from qualifying for the uh, Europa Conference group proper, which would have kept them in European football up till Christmas of 2022, which would have been remarkable. And three other places that go straight into the Conference League for, for, for the team that finishes second, uh, the team that finishes third and the team that won, wins the Irish Cup. So Linfield had a, a desperate last-minute moment. How much did that cost them financially? Well, if they had got to the group stage, it would have been upwards of £5 million. Pounds. Wow. So very, very significant. Game-changer in Northern Ireland. Absolutely. Has the European places been a barrier to uh, maybe an All-Ireland league? Uh, it could well be. Uh, uh, there's no question that, that the the only way you can become sustainable in either uh, Southern Irish football or Northern Irish football is to qualify for European football uh, and also develop your own homegrown players. So uh, seeing the Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland lose four places in Europe, it would impact significantly on, on ever having an All-Ireland uh, competition. Are there any circumstances where you could see a competition, however, that did involve the big clubs from the south playing against the big clubs from the north. I think that would be essential. I think that gives you so many more opportunities to export the product to um, America. There's a huge 
huge number of uh, Irish Americans and they love their football, they love their soccer. And I think a Celtic uh, competition in some way, shape or form between the big 10 teams in some way uh, in the future, I think could be a very viable and sellable product. Very much so, I'd have thought. So returning to your success after you sold Purple Bricks and um, having visited the club uh, myself, I know just what a vibrant hive of activity is and just how popular you are personally um, in, in the town. In fact, I was blown away by just about every taxi driver I met, uh, the girl at the hotel reception. When I mentioned your name, uh, there, was a, there was a free plate of sandwiches arrived. There was a trip to the airport. The feeling was genuine in respect of a, a, a businessman returning to his roots and investing uh, financially, yes, but also in the people taking time to, to be part of that community again. Um, at what point did that engagement, that re-engagement with you, your grassroots um, start? Because it'd be interesting to know your family history in, in, in the town. Yeah, so I'm one of six, so I'm the youngest of six siblings. I've got four elder sisters and an elder brother who've been in business with me for many, many years. And my mum and uh, my mum and dad had met on while my mum was on holiday. She's from Northern Ireland. She's from Larne. My dad was from Morecambe uh, in Lancashire. And uh, they met on holiday in around 1964, 65, uh, 66. And they met in the summer. My mum was on holiday. Uh, she won the beauty contest at the Butlin's Holiday Camp uh, and uh, they fell in love and they ultimately got married and my mum moved to England to be with my dad and six siblings, six children came along. And unfortunately, due to lots of work commitments and family and all, the, the relationship broke down and we moved back to Northern Ireland to Larn and I was about a year old or something like that. And I did all of my schooling and all of my upbringing was all in Northern Ireland, all in Larn. And it was during the troubles. And, um, it, it was, it was an amazing upbringing. It was, it was, it was fantastic to be uh, growing up on a council estate with lots of other families who played with us every day. And you could go in and out of anyone's home. And it was a, it was a great, a really, really great town, a really great estate to grow up in. And there's a statement that, that, People said to me when I was younger, because we used to go to England every summer to see our dad. And our dad was an aspiring lawyer, an aspiring entrepreneur who wanted to be successful in life. And um, many of the kids on our council estate wouldn't have gone to England on holiday on a boat or on an aeroplane. We managed to do that. So we were very uh, ambitious and saw things that maybe some of our friends didn't see. And um, we had a scenario where it was just a, just an amazing upbringing. It was fantastic to be able to experience all of those things. And um and as I said, some people might say it was an underprivileged upbringing. We, we felt it was very, very privileged. So the, the, the statement that people remind me of is, or, or reminded me of when I was younger is, don't forget the bowl you were baked in. And I think coming back to, to Larn, investing in Larn financially and emotionally, I think lots of people use that statement now and they say, Kenny, you never forgot the bowl you were baked in. And we're very grateful that you've helped to come back and inspire a, a generation of young people to, to not only get involved in the football club, but hopefully I, I may have inspired them in some way, shape or form for them to, when they're successful in, in later years, to come back and invest back in their hometown. Now, again, at the heart of much of what you're doing at the football club is this emphasis that I know uh, the manager places great stock on education. So the boys who come through your system aren't boys who are just going to be cast aside if they don't make it in the football world. You've created something fairly unique in that, in that space. 
Yeah, we're very lucky, Andy. We met with an organisation uh, called uh, Stephen Gerrard Academy, which is uh, run uh, by two amazing guys, Joe and Jordan, and Emmett, who is their educational lead in, in Ireland. And we understood for us to be able to have a USP, Larn is 12 miles outside Belfast. For us to have a USP for young people, we need to lead with education being the primary objective. So we decided that we would introduce a BTEC education program for 16 to 18 year olds. And we would uh, deliver that education on site in our first team uh, academy building. Uh, and so the young people can be around the first team players, see how a first time first team player uh, lives and acts and, 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 and mix with them and have their breakfast and lunch with them <coughs> and have a situation where we use education. We use that sport thing to really drive them in terms of their educational achievements. And um, we've had some amazing results. We've had 98 percent retention rate over the first three years of that education program wow. being, being around. We've had um, a 98 percent retention rate and Every single one of those boys that have left that education program, six have gone on to be professional footballers or got professional contracts. The rest have got into their first choice university, with two in particular, Andy, getting into Queen's University. Queen's University has never accepted BTEC students. Two of our BTEC lads have got three A-levels equivalent. The, the qualification was so high and the, the, the grades were so good that they got into Queen's University in Belfast, which was just remarkable. Spectacular. Absolutely. And you, your ambitions don't end there, though, if I understand from the manager that he's looking at introducing uh, undergraduate opportunities online for players, for young professionals. Absolutely. So we're about to introduce an in, a foundation degree programme that allows uh, those 18 to 20 year old players who may not quite be ready for first team action, but again, leading on their education. We fund that foundation degree programme for two years. So it means that those players coming in at 16 go in as BTEC. Then at 18, go into the uh, foundation degree program and that allows them to be able to leave, if, for instance, if they weren't successful at football, leave Larn at 20 years of age with one top up year left to do with no student debt. And it gives them a real foundation to be able to grow and develop in whatever uh, uh, role within the sports world they want to get involved in. And as as you know yourself better than me, Andy, there are so many more roles in sport and in uh, in the sports industry today than there is with players involved. So lots of opportunity and doing sports science and, and sports management degrees, foundation degrees is a great way of them being able to get a role in sport, even if they aren't able to become a full-time footballer. Absolutely, because the industry is crying out for well-educated young talent. And if they've played as well, that's, that's a, another tick in the box. But obviously, you're ultimately about results on the pitch and the business of football. Does player trading feature in part of your strategy? There's no question that, that certainly in the last two or three years, we started to see the value of all of the hard work that's gone in by TNN and his coaching staff over the first two or three years of, uh, of my acquisition. Uh, so we now have a number of assets at our club that certainly will be traded uh, to bigger and better clubs in the future. And we have a very strategic program with that. We have not only the coaching do they get on a day-by-day -day basis with the academy uh, coaches or the first team coaches. We also have Ian Dowie, who's a, a popular lad here in the Northwest, uh, who comes and does individual development plans with those assets. So those that we really feel have potential for the future, on top of uh, the coaching they get that everyone gets, we have individual development plans and Ian Dowie does that two, three days a week. And we're seeing fantastic uh, uh, as I say, success coming from that. And we're seeing transfer fees increasing because of Brexit 
transfer fees increasing within the Northern Irish market. And we see that only growing in the future. Much of what you're saying will, of course, resonate with the business community that are represented by downtown in terms of the strategic planning. Why has sport been so slow to follow uh, the the great examples of certain businesses? We see football clubs that are taken over by businessmen such as yourself, who totally lose their heads when they when they take charge of a football club, blow millions of pounds. In fact, my dear friend Frank McKenna is a, a huge Evertonian and has watched his team squander a small fortune over the last uh, five or six years and, uh, and facing potential relegation. What, what's kept you sober and in control while, you, while, while under the pressure that comes with uh, uh, expectation? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably not in the best place to be able to answer that question, but I'll give you a view of of, 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 of where I think from my perspective and my level is you've just got to have a really clear and disciplined plan and you've got to make sure that you communicate that plan to your uh, stakeholders internally and externally, that you... Uh, uh, give trust and support to those individuals that are leading your club, whether that's the CEO, Niall, who is on your uh, on your development programme, or, or the first team manager in Tiernan Lynch. Are you, are you good at giving mandates to these people and allowing them to function? It's essential that they're the experts. They know what they're doing. You've got to be there as a support mechanism to mentor and offer support to them and put them onto programs like yours here, Andy, uh, for them to be able to grow and develop. But you've got, they've got to have the responsibility. They, they can't be a minister without portfolio. You can't give them uh, a mandate. I can't give them a mandate and then not give them the decision-making process. So we absolutely are very clear in terms of they make the decisions where there is a support mechanism to create that environment for them to flourish. And was that something you applied at Purple Bricks as well? No doubt. Certainly here in the UK, where me and Michael were in effect the execs from day one, we definitely created the right environment where people could flourish and a, and a, and a great culture uh, really, really fertilised from that. So the, 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 the people that were involved with us got a clear plan, clear mandate, clear North Star vision, and we managed to win the hearts and minds of not only our people internally, but again, our customer base at Purple Bricks, very similar to our customer base at Lyon Football Club, got involved and we won the hearts and minds of them as well. How do you describe the dynamic between you and your brother? <laughs> he's probably best to answer that, but he, he he's a very astute man, uh, a, a huge attention to detail. Uh, he's got a very uh, strong directness about him in his approach. I'm, I suppose, trifle more cuddly. Uh, I'm more of the people person and I like to, I suppose, try and find people doing good things and, and try and pat them on the back for doing those good things and then work with them on the areas that they need to work on. Whereas Michael is more... Uh, driven and direct, but but he has an enormous work ethic, Andy, that I've not seen from anybody I've worked with ever. Michael will be up at four in the morning. He'll go to bed at uh, midnight, four hours sleep, seven days a week he will work wherever he goes in life, where he's on holiday. He'll have a, a beach towel over his head with his laptop while his <laughs> wife is soaking up the rays and the kids are playing in the pool. So hugely dedicated, very astute uh, and in- incredible work ethic. But he didn't join, join you in Lyon. No, I, I, but he's, he's offered an awful lot of advice and support and mentorship to myself, and he's been a great supporter of, 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 of what we've achieved at Lan. And he sent me a text on Friday evening. He was in Florida on holiday, and he sent me a text saying it's, he feels it's my greatest personal achievement. And I suppose from his point of view, he's always maintained that 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 that, that he wants. He's very proud of me, and he feels that it's it, I'm in the limelight, and and, and I should uh, uh, get the rewards from 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 the efforts I put in. But yet, Michael's been heavily involved in terms of helping and supporting me from a mentor perspective. That must mean an awful lot to you when someone like Michael makes those sort of comments. 
I would imagine that he, you've got to earn them in his case. No question about it. Hardest taskmaster that, that that's ever been born. It's certainly that I work with, and, and and I was lucky enough due to the work I did at, at Lan. I was lucky enough last year to get an MBE uh, from Princess Anne. And um, uh, when I went home and reflected on that MBE, I I realised it was actually the Michael Bruce Endurance Award. Having worked with Michael for twenty years, the MBE means Michael Bruce Endurance Award for uh, for the for the for the stress and strain he's put on, put me under. How have your family supported you over the last couple of years? My, my wife's been incredible. Uh, she's been uh, a huge support, as has my sons, George and Tom. Uh, I, I suppose the, the greatest, um, I suppose, appreciation I can show my wife is that we clearly have spent an awful lot of money on Lyle Football Club. It's given us a lot of personal reward. Uh, but clearly that's been money that we could have spent on each other or on our families, but she's given me that wholehearted support to be able to do that. Great thing about it, uh, what I say to her now, Andy, is that she used to get Gucci handbags and Louis Vuitton handbags at Christmas. She now gets a striker or a centre-half or, or a goalkeeper, <laughs> which 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 she's not, which is okay with now. She's okay with that. The Gucci handbag doesn't pull up with a hamstring injury 10 minutes into <laughs> their first, first outing either. One final question, Kenny. Where do you see yourself both in terms of sport and business in the next five years? Uh, I think because of my upbringing, Andy, I have a thirst for work. I uh, certainly not somebody who wants to sit back and be a non-exec or uh, somebody who wants to get a set of board papers on a train to a board meeting and, and contribute. I, I want to be engrossed in whatever I want to get involved in. So for me, I see continuing to be involved in the property world. Uh, certainly there's lots of opportunities out there that we are looking at at the present time, and we'll definitely apply some of those opportunities and bring them to fruition fairly soon. And I want to continue to grow Lan. I think, as I say, the, the opportunity in Northern Ireland is only going to get more significant. I think if the assembly and the local government get back up and running, I think that will really create massive opportunities off the back of Brexit and being able to trade with the European Union and with the rest of GB in a way that no other trading centre across the UK can do. Uh, so I see massive opportunities in, in football in Northern Ireland and in sport. And I see very much me being hands-on involved in businesses uh, that me and Michael will be involved in, in going forward. Kenny, absolutely fantastic to speak to you. A really inspiring story for all, all our aspirational executives within VSI and the Global Institute of Sport. I mean, it, you, you could have been here interviewing today, Andy, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob from Wrexham. Uh, as I say, there is a place in, in Northern Ireland called Hollywood. So whenever you invited me on this podcast, uh, a football owner, football club owner from Hollywood, you thought you were getting Ryan Reynolds and Rob and you ended up with Kenny Bruce. So that's a, that's a story for you. But what they didn't get was Champions League football. Correct. Kenny Bruce, thank you very much for your time. Fascinating story and we wish you every success in the future. Thank you, Andy. Hi, this is Frank McKenna, the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. And I want to tell you about a fabulous conference that we're hosting on Thursday, the 7th of September, 2023. In association with Sedulo Group, BDP and VSI Executive Education, we'll be hosting a one-day event, Business of Sport, at the home of Lancashire Cricket Club during the international football break in the autumn. The conference will attract up to 200 delegates from sports organisations, private sector companies and public sector agencies from across the country. Our confirmed speakers so far include Gary Neville, the ex-Manchester United and England footballer turned pundit and entrepreneur. 
Sir Howard Bernstein, former Chief Exec of Manchester City Council, part of the city's Commonwealth Games delivery and legacy team. The Chief Executive of Women in Football, Yvonne Harrison. GB Javelin Champion and Olympic medalist, Goldie Sayers. The Chief Exec of FC United, Natalie Atkinson. And the Chair of the Rugby League World Cup, Chris Brindley. Tickets are available now. Go to downtowninbusiness.com. You'll find out all the information in the events section of our website. More speakers to be announced shortly, but it is going to be a fantastic day. That's Thursday, the 7th of September, 2023, Downtown in Business's Business of Sport Conference. 